Article 10, On the Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, by Stephen M. K. Brunswick. This message is to help provide insight into the working of God in the life of the believer. It helps to know how close he, his help is there for us in our time, as well where every good thing comes from. He is our ready comforter, our divine paraclete, our present in a way that even his apostles knew, his triune nature and ours. As knowledge is power and power is the fuel of victors, we all would be prudent to follow St. Paul's admonishment in Colossians 3.10. Renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who is one God or one Elohim, Elohim being plural in Hebrew. A key part of understanding the spiritual battlefields is renewing in the knowledge of the inner workings of our own image as well as his image in which we are made. We who are created in the image of God, Adam kind, are trichotomous, or have three parts, with the spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 confirms this. Your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These three parts of our nature also have different personalities. We are warned throughout the scripture that if we become controlled by our own heart, or even our own mind or the flesh, that is, your soul and body operating without your spirit, rather than being led by the spiritual part of our nature, then we are falling into destruction. Look to Romans 8 verses 6 and 13. All three parts of our nature have to work as one, and in proper order, just as the Trinity works. The Holy Spirit praises the Son, and the Son praises the Father. John 6, 14 and 15. St. Paul admonished us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Ephesians 4, 22, verse 22 through 24 reads, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, putting off the old man that is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We see that we are created as triune with multiple natures or persons within us. The soul is still going through a sanctification process and has to choose between the mind of the flesh or the mind of the spirit on a continual basis. These two natures will even war against each other as we see in Romans 7, 14 through 25. Verse 23 reads, Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. These internal natures are like opposites of each other. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. From Galatians 5 verse 17. We will continue to struggle with the flesh, and for this reason we must daily confess our shortcomings and crucify our flesh till either we die or receive our glorified bodies in the resurrection. Christ conquered and overcame the flesh, and also told us we must daily take up our cross, crucify the flesh, and walk in the Spirit. Much more can be said and taught on these aspects. The Third Heaven and Heaven of Heavens Many correlations of the triunity of God can be made such as that which is taught within the three main sections of the tabernacles of God, built after the shadow of heavenly things, according to the pattern showed to thee on the mount, from Hebrews 8 verse 5. 
the word heavens itself, and even the heavens of heavens, from Deuteronomy, Kings, Second Chronicles, and Nehemiah, or a concept of a multiplicity of heavens, are laid out for us in the Holy Scriptures and Apocryphal books. Look at when Christ spoke about the kingdom of the heavens. Heavens is always plural in Hebrew. The book of Enoch, which was considered canonical till very recently, lists at least 13 heavens. It says Christ's and John's ministry was teaching this. Repent, for the kingdom of heavens is at hand. Matthew 3.2, Matthew 4.17, and Mark 1.15. It also says in those contexts that he healed everyone and cast out demonic spirits, etc. When you realize heaven is plural, it brings a little more understanding about it coming to earth at hand and how to pray for the saints at all times. Ephesians 6.18 Pray also for the dominion of his saints, holy, separate ones, in this lower realm, to experience more of the grace through faith in Christ. His word, which is for this world, until all the rebel spirits eventually are placed under our feet, from Psalm 110 verse 1, Romans 16.20, and 1 Corinthians 15.25, etc., Christ awaits us at the right hand of the Father. Only in resurrection will we have these dominion troubles lifted. Once the last enemy is defeated, as we wrestle not against flesh and blood, this teaching of our triune nature is vital for us to understand. For we do wrestle with spiritual forces. And we need to know about the best working spiritual weaponry. As he taught about these individual areas of our soul and dominions of the heavens, he also included this command to his apostles to teach the same kingdom of heavens message, and through it to heal the sick, cast out devils, etc. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. These things go on in the second of the main three heavens, weapons in heavenly places spoken about throughout scripture. Not only St. Paul spoke of three heavens in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, we see the three heavens were demonstrated also at the death of Christ on the cross. Scripture says his soul went to hell for three days. There, Christ was busy wounding the dragon, opening the gates for believers, etc. However, at his death, Christ Jesus said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, from Luke 23:46. Paul also called his own experience of the third heaven as caught up into paradise. His spirit went to the third heaven, and his soul to hell, or second heaven. His body went to the grave, first heaven. That is, three entirely different locations for each of the three parts of his nature. I hope that after reading this small article, some who believed Christ only went to sleep in the grave, and only Rome had invented the Trinity, may be converted to truth and repent. However, they don't have to agree with me on every point brought up therein. This particular concept of triune heavens is not a totally required knowledge to understand the rest of the message of the work of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. While it is helpful to know about these many heavens, it's not the main message and can be better expounded on in a whole other study itself. We could expound upon the biblical functional levels of the first heaven being the physical world, the second heaven being the world where the soul lives, and the third heaven 
being the realm where our spirit lives with God, presently and permanently seated with him in a justified condition on his throne. Ephesians 2 verse 6. And other surrounding correlative teachings of the scripture confirm this. We are to be confirmed, conformed to his image of his son. Romans 8 29. From our standard doctrinal understandings, we have already laid out that his own self went to three locations at his death. So Christ had to be himself, as well as the standard triunity of a man, as he came as the son of Adam, while also holding other offices in dormancy, in order that he might die in our place. So everything we see with him is also reiterating our own triune nature as Adamic people. He is also within the greater trinity of God, welcoming us as his head of our body. These things are understood for the spiritual who are established in the core teachings, having approached it with prayerful study. Thus, we see a trinity, just as we demonstrated that there is a heaven of heavens, a kingdom framework that is above this world. Living the positive biblical life is part of bringing his courts to planet earth and entering his courts with praise. Thanksgiving for his biblical victories, promises, covenants, and true blessings that he's provided in Christ can be going into his gates with thanksgiving. Look to Psalm 100 verse 4. As the daily prayer Christ gave us to pray has such language, and we can best use it to the fullest. In it, we praise him concerning his kingdom, spiritual and physical dominion in our Christian zones, as we pray for the day's daily bread etc. The Person of the Holy Spirit Our King did not mince words when he commanded us thus in Matthew 28:19, Baptizing them, not only in the name of the Father, and not only the name of the Son, and also the name of the Holy Spirit. As is plain to see, the anti-Trinity crowd really has to cherry-pick verses to ignore what Christ taught about the Holy Spirit. They mainly find some referring to the human spirit, being born again, which refers to the holy and higher-born part of man that is reachable, so our soul and body may be filled with the Holy Spirit, and through his power do his work. Clearly, there are many important and beautiful teachings about being spiritual. However, each and every moment you want to be spiritual is proof the Holy Spirit is working. Although at times that work is external, sometimes, if converted to Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us, spirit, soul, and body, to testify of Christ through us. There are several verses clearly referring to the Holy Spirit as a person rather than an it. It is odd to find how the anti-Trinitarians can ignore these verses, for example, in John 14, verse 16 through 17, the Spirit, the Comforter, is called a He and a Him. We see that confirmed in Greek as well as the King James Version. In the Greek, as well as an Aramaic text, there is clear usage of the personal pronouns for He and Him. This should also satisfy any doubters. However, there is more, much more. In 2 Corinthians 3.1, we read, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How much clearer can it get than this passage? The Lord, or Yahweh, is the Holy Spirit. 
Also, the Greek provides a double confirmation, for it says the Spirit, Yahweh, twice. So it's like saying, God the Holy Spirit, as used commonly in the church, we can say Yahweh is not an it, and we should take the word literal, that Yahweh himself is a being and is a triunity. Very often the name of the Lord, or Tetragrammaton Yahweh, is referenced not only to the Father and the Son, but also the same person of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit will speak of him, some will prefer to use the name Jesus Christ, or Yahshua, in describing the name of the great I Am, the Tetragrammaton. As he said, before Abraham was, I Am, from John 8, 58. We've now demonstrated all three persons of the divine name of the Tetragrammaton, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are not to diminish any one of them. It says, you can speak a word against the Son, and it will be forgiven. But speaking against the Holy Spirit is dealt with more severely. Matthew 12.32 reads, And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, shall not for, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Also see Luke 12, verse 10. It's a pretty strong thing for someone to speak against the Holy Spirit. This may not be speaking of losing eternal salvation, but more about the rewards, as it says everyone will receive a reward on every work they have done and every word that they have said while in the body. We'll all face the judgment seat of Christ. Look to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. That is, unless we are doing the fullest form of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which would be the complete rejection of Jesus Christ, only rejecting him could damn someone. Mark 16, 16. I do not think the Holy Spirit will abandon anyone, but may lift off of people as well as be quenched or griefed. Ephesians 4, 30 and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. As without him, there would be great chaos. John 14, verse 16 through 17. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. The Spirit not only dwells with us, but fills us. That means we have a deeper relationship than in the Old Testament times. We now have the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the purchased possession. Ephesians 1 verse 13 through 14, and in this verse, John 14, 16 through 17, Christ himself states the principle that the Father shall give the Holy Spirit at some future time. Several times this was reiterated, as in John 7:39, The Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He did later tell them to go wait for the sending of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to the upper room, as well as this, from Luke 24, 49. I send the promise, tarry at Jerusalem, until endued with power from on high. Everyone was looking for that future time when the Holy Spirit would work in their lives in a deeper, more powerful way. This was also foretold in Joel 2.17, where it is quoted as being the fulfillment in Acts 2.17 that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. 
This clearly did begin to be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, when that great power was demonstrated to all present. Then the Spirit gave them a synergy to convert the masses. They were given utterances, so that even foreign people heard them as if they were speaking in their own dialects. So while it can be said that the Holy Spirit can come upon all flesh, this does not mean that they will receive and be filled with Him to also be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Personal Characteristics of the Holy Spirit He's referred to as a person. John 6, 63 14, 26, Romans 8, 11, 8, 16, 8, 26, and 1 John 5, verse 6. He speaks, 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, Acts 1, 16, Acts 8, 29, Acts 10, 19, Acts 11, 12, Acts 13, 2, Acts 21, 11, Acts 28, 25 to 26, 1 Timothy 4, 1, Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 8, Revelations 2, 7, 14, verse 3, and chapter 22, verse 17. He witnesses, John 15, 26. He searches, 1 Corinthians 2, 11. He can be grieved, Isaiah 63, 10, and Ephesians 4, 30. He loves, Romans 15, 30. He has a mind, Romans 8, 27. He has intelligence. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 and 11. He can be tested. Acts 5, 9. He can be resisted. Acts 7, verse 5. He has a will. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, and 12, verse 7 through 11. The Holy Spirit is also called our teacher, sent in His name. John 14, 26 reads, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Working of the Holy Spirit John 15.26 states, But when the Comforter is come, he shall testify of me. As the main work of the Holy Spirit is that he would testify of Christ, and Christ is the whole word, John 1.1, 1, 1, it would be quite the undertaking to write out all the many good things found in His Word. The Word is what the Holy Spirit testifies of or does in our lives as witnesses of God's goodness. As we have read, the Spirit Himself had not yet come. Once He arrived, all the believers would know and testify of His glories. They also would do the works the Divine One worked through them. In Acts chapter 2, we read the record of the great moment on his feast day when the Holy Spirit came down in the glory cloud with cloven tongues of fire being filled with the Holy Spirit. Since then, all believers are endowed with gifts to turn and repent. Then he can fill them. The believers who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God then went on to be witnesses to the masses, speaking in their dialects, converting the masses and setting the world on fire for Jesus Christ. Christ said that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Throughout Christendom are the daily liturgies that include full confessions of all sins. As this reduces, we are seeing the end-time prophecy fulfilled, that the man of sin is more empowered.
These general confessions go through just about any aspect of sin that could creep into anyone's lives. They are exhaustive to remind anyone that sin is the transgression of the law. Most of the law is nationally applicable, which is why the daily prayer begins and ends, or is enclosed and rooted in, His kingdom come on earth, with this daily's bread, forgiveness, and deliverances this day, as prayed, Note that it's not a personal prayer, but a collective to our Father for our bread, our deliverance, our forgivenesses. As a people, those are not singulars. The day itself is referred to as singular this day, our daily bread, as is a necessity included in the prayers for his people prayed each individual day, and with such inclusive topics requisite to be within our prayers. Many can agree the food supply is lacking nutrients. As we are, pre are we praying enough for his dominion and occupation in our food supply? Even this one area of his daily prayer contains numerous ways to demonstrate the working of the Holy Spirit in this world. For the rest of the outlying topics of the work of the Holy Spirit, we can say this. He gives us the will to do that which is good, and leads us into all truth. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Romans 3.11 No man seeketh after God. So if all good things are done only by the leading of the Spirit, this can refer to any one of the best things you can imagine in his way of life. Whenever you notice anyone doing something good, we should praise God for it, because all credit and glory are his due. That is proof of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We see that in Romans 3. It continues to say, No man does good, no not one. Only the Holy Spirit does the good through us. Thus, we have a huge debt of thanks to give to the Holy Spirit for his patience with mankind to move us along to do good. Although anyone doing good is directly attributed to God's personal working himself, we still should give thanks to and for the obedient doer it does take a yielded vessel who meets us at least halfway to give us the will to do what is good. Some may not yet understand this truth, but we can share our joy in this area lightly at first. In prayers together, we can always thank God for giving them the willing heart. This may be yet another confirmation of the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans 8.16 The Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts making it now a desire to perform it out of love rather than a mere obligation of legalism. It isn't the goal of salvation, which is only by the blood of Jesus, but is a byproduct, as his law is the truth edom that Christ came to deliver us out of the bondage of the world. The hands of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness all the days of our lives, most agree the heart has to do with your beliefs, concepts, and attitudes. We can break those three parts down into many messages for meditation and edification as we study the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now we have that even greater gift than what they had in the Old Testament as he writes God's laws on our hearts. Not everyone's. From 2 Corinthians 3.3 Ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. 
So we see a major work of the Holy Spirit is writing the eternal laws of God on our hearts, as was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, and etc. As a beginning point, you'll need to start with confession. Out of the heart the mouth speaketh and proves there is a conversation to the eternal salvation. After receiving Christ, we are to walk in him. Colossians 2.6 2 Timothy 1.7 says, We have been given the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. The power he gives us helps us follow and fulfill his word much more than we would ever be able to have done in the past. We now have a special divine help as we yield to him and go in faith. This miracle power and gift of power from on high has been reiterated in this study now several times. Regarding gifts, we should point out that a lot of people have a misunderstanding about the word grace or charisma in Greek. This also is the word for a gifted or talented person, the gift of healing, or the ability to do other miracles. Each of these gifts is the Greek word charis, grace. This is why it says in Romans 1.15 that grace is for obedience. In other words, grace is his divine enablement that empowers us to obey. Romans 8.11 reads, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So much of this requires only our simple yielding and simple faith, trusting in his word. It requires the renewing of our minds in his word. It takes going to listen to his word being taught. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by his spoken word. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That word for hearing, in other quotes of Hebrew passages, is the word shama, the word for obey or respond to what you heard. This all agrees with this principle. Faith without works is dead. We must do all things in the spirit of love. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple or vessel does not necessarily get credit for what is done through it. The Holy Spirit himself will work his righteousness through our bodies, and even more so as we grow in righteousness in leading people to Christ Jesus. We must be faithful to confess his sovereignty and righteousness in our lives. Our own bodies are not the originators of his righteousness. A whole study can be done on man's own righteousness without God versus God's righteousness in us. These are two different worlds that are better understood in a balanced teaching of love that points us to abide in Christ. Romans 6.13 summarizes this well. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This article will be continued in the next issue of The Watchman, Spring 2023.